You know, we are wrapping up a sermon series that we started about three or four weeks ago called Let It Soak. And, and I've kind of mentioned to you every week, that's the phrase that we use around here as a staff. We got an idea or something's, you know, something's kind of bubbled to the surface. We say, well, what do you think about this? And we, we kind of say, well, let's let, that, let's let that soak a little bit. Let's crock pot on that. What, what, let's see what happens over time. And, and for me, I've been thinking over the last few weeks, what are the things that God wants us to just marinate in a little bit? What, what are the things that he wants us to just pause and, and let kind of soak into us? And we've talked a lot about some of our doubts and some of our fears, the things that really hold us back from following Jesus. And I've had several people say, man, this, this message series has really, has really touched me. There's something that, that's really uh, moved me about this series. And, and I, I'm so encouraged by that, and I'm encouraged by the fact that we can, that this is a, a place that we can come and and be honest and be vulnerable and, and a little bit raw and real about, hey, here's some of the questions that I have about God and some of the doubts that I have and some of the things that I just, they just kind of keep tripping me up a little bit. And, and it's something about that. What's amazing to me is when we just acknowledge that and we come before the Lord vulnerably and, and humbly, he, he grows us there. That's a place where he is building confidence. It's not when we pretend but it's when we are real. And, and we're going to close this series out today. And I want to close it out by getting a little, even a little bit more personal uh, and, and get right at the heart of one of the greatest doubts that we have. And, and, and this is a big one. And, and for a lot of us, maybe you say, you know what, I, I've kind of grown past some of my doubts about God. I, I don't get hung up there as much. And, and, and I'm, I'm not even, you know, and I trust God. I really do. I really trust him. Uh, but, and, and probably most everyone in here would acknowledge that God uses people. He really does, you know, we see it all the time. We see him using other people, but one thing that will paralyze us in our own walk with God is you can just doubt that God could use you. Will God use me in any significant way? And I'll tell you, that's something I've struggled with for a long time. I see um, it's apparent to me that God can use people like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa and other people that I see, great musicians, people with talent and great outgoing personalities that are so smart, they're so creative, they're so innovative, but I don't have what they have. And that can just stop me dead in my tracks. It's amazing how quickly doubts enter our minds when we start moving towards God's purpose for our life. And this is the question, just let this, let this soak. Could God really use me? Could God really use us? Could he really use you? I think that's a big one. That's a big thing that really just stops us. I don't, maybe you say, well, I, I don't know because I, I know that I'm not good enough. I'm not where I want to be. And I, I'm not, uh, I'm, I don't know enough scripture. I haven't been a Christian for very long. You know, I'm still new at all this stuff. I've messed up big time. I'm not very talented. You know, I know all the problems that I have. You know, I'm, I'm a cat person. I love cats for some reason. Other questionable life decisions that you've made. You know, you've got some things, some issues. I don't know if God can use me with that. Whatever it could be for you, all the dog people are like, that's right, keep, keep going. There's all sorts of reasons in your mind, in our minds, why we doubt that we're qualified or we, we doubt that God could use us in a big way. For those of you who feel that, I, I want to look at a passage of scripture in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read it in the message version this morning. 
But here's how it, how it starts out. It says, Paul's writing to this church, and he says, It's clear to us, friends, it's clear to us that God not only loves you very much, but he's also put his hand on you for something special. I really like that verse. Other translations say, you know, God has chosen you. You're loved and you're known by God. That's such an encouraging scripture to me, a great reminder. I love the image of that, that God has put his hand on my shoulder. He's put his hand on your shoulder. And he said, I not only love you, but I've chosen you for something very special. I have something very special in mind for your life. You just personalize that. Just let, let that soak and internalize a little bit. God is saying, I want to use you. I created you on purpose. You're not here by accident. Another great reminder is in Ephesians 2 verse 10. Another great passage in the New Testament that says that we are God's masterpiece. That he's made us with purpose. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned long ago. It wasn't like you just kind of popped into existence and then God was like, oh, well, okay, let's, let's figure out a place for this person. You know, maybe, maybe there's something that I can figure out. I don't know. I wasn't really expecting you to come along, but I, surprise, you're here. That's not what this scripture tells us at all. It says that God had a plan long ago for you. And he's, you are his masterpiece. You're the workmanship, the craft. He's the, the, uh, he's the worker. You are the, the, the work of his hands. And, you know, I've read that scripture a thousand times. I, I've, I've heard that one over and over and over. But you know what my problem is with this? Is I've got it up here in my head. I know it. I can quote it. But boy, the, the hardest journey is for it to move from here to here. That's the longest journey from my head to my heart. I have a hard time trusting it. I have a hard time believing that. I think we all do from time to time. The, the journey from my head to my heart, it's the longest and most difficult road to travel taking the information that i know the stuff that i know and trusting it where it, where it makes a difference it produces something in my life allowing it to work on me and move me to a place of trust i was thinking about a lot about that this past week throughout this whole series i've told you that there's really two things that hold us back doubt and fear it just paralyzes us I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I'm trying to make him the Lord of my life, but the thing that'll trip me up is when I've got some doubts, when I've got some fears, and how those just start uh, just crawling out of us, and the cracks that are all over us, they mess with us. Either I'm not sure that God will do this, or I'm afraid to risk. I'm afraid of what could go wrong. Now, I'm afraid, what if, this, what if this blows up in my face? I think about times in my life when I was so unsure of myself, that I didn't take a step at all. Have you ever felt frozen? Like you just, I, I, I am so terrified of the next move that I just don't move at all. I just stay put. And I've got a friend right now I, that I love so much. This guy, uh, he's, he's uh, getting a ministry, younger guy. And uh, he's a talented person. Huge heart for people and for ministry. It's obviously the Lord is blessed him has got a plan for him and he has had several multiple ministry job offers and he just can't seem to make up his mind and he's like i just don't know i just don't know what to do so he just keeps turning them all down 
It's like God keeps opening, opening doors for him, and he's like, well, I don't know, there's, I'm a little bit scared of that one. Or, well, I don't know, that one doesn't seem, uh, I'm not sure. And so he just keeps turning everything down. It's one of those situations where he's like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, and I don't know if I can do that. So he just freezes. You ever been there? He's like, I don't know which door to, to walk through, so I'm just not going to walk through any doors. I've been there. I, I've felt that, and, and, and you know, I don't want you to think that I'm going to... I'm going to stand up here and try to project and tell you guys what God wants you to do. That's not my goal today. My goal is not to tell you, hey, this is what God wants you to do. Because I do well if I can just try to figure that out for myself. It's hard enough to figure out what God wants me to do. So far be it for me to, to try to tell you, hey, this is, this is what God wants. I'm, I, I, that's not my goal. But, but I, I want to challenge you with something. If you just kind of let this, just let this soak a little bit. Is that God does want to use us, but sometimes we get in the way. Sometimes we, we're the reason that something's not going in a direction. We kind of stand back and say, God, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you doing something? You know, hey, come on, I'm, I'm waiting for you to do something. He said, I have. I've opened the door. When are you going to start walking? When are you going to start taking some steps? So many of us, we are so self-defeated. Game is over by the time our feet hit the floor in the morning. We've already decided from the time that we wake up that, well, I'm, I'm nothing and I'm not going to ever do anything. And so, you know, this is just the way my life is going to be. We don't need anybody to beat us up. We do a great job of doing that ourselves. And a lot of us, that's where we're at today and every day. Listen to these words in First Thess Thessalonians, Paul's writing. He says, God's got his hand on you for something very special. And then he says this. He says, when the message that we preached came to you, this is the gospel of Jesus. When that message came to you, it wasn't just words, but something happened in you. It was real, guys. Don't don't ignore it. Don't pretend like nothing happened. Something happened in you. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. That's something that we just can't ignore. You know, sometimes we, we feel like God's, you know, he's moving in our life and we feel convicted. And I, I know the next step that I need to take. I know it. Nobody's got to tell you what it is. You know the, the Lord is impressing that on you. But we get so scared and we, we, we kind of shrink back and we say, oh, maybe I just got emotional. I'm not sure. I think that, that might have just been, a, maybe that was a weird moment. Maybe that was the green burrito that I ate last night. I don't know that. God really is saying that to me right now. Maybe, maybe I'm just crazy. He said, no, 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 something happened, guys. Something happened. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend like it didn't. The Holy Spirit is, is putting something in you. Now, the devil is going to try to place seeds of doubt in your mind. You know, as soon as a message comes to you, as soon as you feel moved, like the Lord just gripped your heart, all of a sudden... What are some of the phrases that start running through your mind? Is Well, no, 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 I, I could never do that. You know, I'll just mess up. I don't have the resources. I don't, I'm, I'm not talented. I'm not good enough. One thing that I have to remind myself of is there are, there are certain things that would never come from the Lord. You know, God would never violate his own word. And I know that there are things and emotions that I may feel, feelings, whatever you want to call it, there, there are things that I know would never come from God. Guilt does not come from God. Somebody says, oh, I just feel guilty. God just, 
I know I've messed up and, I've, and God just made me feel guilty about that. I'm like, no, no, no. God didn't make you feel guilty about that. You may feel guilt, but that didn't come from him. Discouragement. You know, or I, just, I just know how much of a wretch I am. You know, I'm just a terrible person. I'll never be anything. Fear. Stress. It doesn't come from God. God doesn't stress us out. Anxiety. I've heard people say that too. Oh, God just, he's just, he's just wearing me out. He's just wearing, I'm so, I'm so worried. And I, I know that God's put that on me and I'm just worried and I feel so anxious all the time like that. That doesn't come from the Lord. Those are so counterprodu- counterproductive. All those things are unproductive. Well, what's the reverse to that? The things that do come from God, conviction, passion, urgency, cor- uh, courage, steel in your convictions. That's the, the fire in your bones. I've got to do something. God does want to use me, and I've got to get moving. I've got to put one foot in front of the other. And as I look through Scripture, I wondered this past week, who did God use the most? When I look at different people and and all these these biblical characters that did these great things, God used them in huge ways. I wonder, what were some common personality traits? What were some common things about them, these, these people? And I could sum it up in about three different ways. They were insecure, unlikely, and failures. Every single person that God used. I just don't know that there was anybody in Scripture who was just so great and so impressive that God was like, yeah, that, that person. Now, he's, he is a type A dude is stacked. He's great, natural-born leader. I'm going to use him because that makes sense. That's the guy I want. I just don't see that. He just always uses these insecure, unlikely failures. And, and I think about insecure people like Moses, who God, you know, he spoke to him through the burning bush and said, Moses, I'm going to use you. My people are enslaved in Egypt, and you're going to go to Pharaoh, and I'm going to talk through you, and you're going to be my mouthpiece, and I'm sending you. And Moses immediately responds and says, no, I, I'm not a good speaker, and I'm not a very good leader. I think you got the wrong guy. You should use somebody else. You really should because I'm not the guy. He's just so insecure. God has put his hand on you for something very special. He knew what he was doing when he made you. God has wired you with certain gifts. Some of them you don't even realize that they're there. They're buried. They're underneath the surface. There's certain abilities and certain passions. I think about this. What are the things in your life that you are passionate about that you just, you just can't move past? That you just I am just fixated on this. And you wonder why other people aren't more concerned about this. I think you've got to pause there and say, why, why am I so passionate? Could it be that God's prodding you, saying, hey, I made you on purpose, and this is part of that. I want you to be an agent of change. I'm going to use you to, to bring something about for this. There are things that, that you care about, and you, you wonder why. Because God made you that way, and in all of history... In all of, all of the days of mankind, God knew that this was the most opportune time for you to be born, for you to exist, the right place for you to live around the right people with the right weaknesses. And why do I say this? Because our weaknesses are often the greatest clue as to where God wants to work in our life. Think about it. Let that soak. The places where you're weak, the, the weak areas, oftentimes... That's the greatest clue as to where God wants to work in you and what he's going to do. Because then when he uses you, guess what? It wasn't you. 
You, you weren't the one. You, nobody's going to look and say, well, yeah, that made sense because you got all the, you know, you, you check off all the boxes. But God uses the weak things of the world, weak people. It says, the, the scripture says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. There's more room for him to work when we put our confidence in him rather than in ourselves. When I, I don't say, well, I think I can do this, but I say, I, I don't think I can do this, but I know that God can God wants to use the insecure. That's a hard bridge to cross. It's tough moving from pride to humility. And that's really what that is. You know, we always, we don't like to fail. I don't like to fail. Nobody wants to fail. And so I always want to pursue things that I know I've got a half a shot of being good at. Because I don't want to look stupid. (laughs) It really takes a lot of humility to pursue something that I'm weak in. And yet, that's where God calls us. He says, I'm going to use weak things. I'm going to show up and my strength will be made perfect in you. This is a mark of wisdom, I think. A mark of wisdom is recognizing how little we know. You know, as we move from pride to humility, that's, you know, some people, as we get a little older, we say things, you know, the older I get, the more I realize how little I know. I think, man, that's wisdom is what that is. Some of the smartest people, some of the most... Some of the wisest people that I know, they'll say things like this. They'll say, well, I don't know too much, but what I do know is, and then what follows, what comes out of their mouth is pure gold. And it's like, man, that, there it is. Like, that's wisdom, but, but it's, it's the humility of saying, well, I, I realize how little I know. People loves to, God use, loves to use people who are insecure. He uses the unlikely too. King David, when, when God chose King David, he's a scrawny little shepherd boy out in the field. They're looking for a king. His dad didn't even bring him in the house, in the lineup. Because all of his older brothers were these kingly looking dudes. They're tall, they're handsome, they're strong. They've got a chiseled chin, you know, all the things. They're type A leaders. And so David's father's like, yeah, here here are my boys. Pick any one of them. They're all great. And like, no, nah, isn't there another boy somewhere? Well, there's the, there's the kid. You know, he looks a little more like his mom. He's not really what you're looking for. We don't even consider him. <laughs> but God said, and the scripture says, that people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. People look at what's on the outside, but God sees things in you that no one else sees. You ever feel misunderstood or judged or slighted? Because people look at the outside. God's looking at something else. He sees what he put in you. God loves to use the unlikely. It's funny, when you look at the American church today, I I heard another pastor say this this week. I I never thought about this. But when you you look at the American church, Whenever a church is looking for a, a new pastor, they always look for three things. There's like three boxes that have to be checked. And number one is we're looking for a guy who's married with a great family. That's, what, that's, that's okay. That's what we're looking for first. Second thing, we're looking for somebody that's got a higher education degree. At least a master's degree is preferred. And the third thing is we're looking for somebody that's got at least 10 years of ministry experience. And that's kind of like the three, the big three. Funny thing is, if Jesus applied for the job, he would be disqualified. He was never married, 
didn't have a family. His public ministry only lasted three years. And he, he didn't have a, a, a degree from a college. He, he was the college. And so I, I think about that. I think about how we look at the outside. And I, I'm, that's not a, I'm not trying to slam the American church. I'm just saying that this is what we do. We look at pedigree. We look at well, what, what, are, what are your credentials? We look at the outside. God looks at something much different. He uses the unlikely. You are not the sum total of other people's opinions. Just because someone looks at you and has formed an opinion, it does not mean that that is who you are. And it does not mean that that is who God has made you to be. God is, God is the one who defines you. And he says, you're my masterpiece. I love you. Not only do I love you, but I've put my hand on you for something very special. Stop believing what other people say about you. See, this is, I think, where this doubt comes from. Because we know what the Bible says. We know what the Holy Spirit impresses on us. God, we know how God stirs us up. But what stops us dead in our tracks from taking a step, or I don't think God will use me, is because of what other people say or what they think or our fears about what they will say or what they will think. It's people that stop us, never the Lord. If, if God would say, listen, I've, I've given you everything that you need. Follow me. Trust me. Where is he calling you to go? What is he calling you to do? And God uses failures too. He uses the insecure. He uses the unlikely. He uses failures. I, I think probably the biggest failure in, in the Bible, I mean, there's lots. You can take your pick. But my favorite failure of all the failures was Peter. I mean, here's a guy who literally spent three years of his life with Jesus. Spent three years of his life waking up every day, sitting, having breakfast with the Son of God walking with him, listening to him teach. I mean, we've got the scriptures. Peter had him. And yet, when Jesus was crucified, which he told him this is going to happen, Peter denies that he even knew him because he's afraid. He runs in the other direction. He's like, oh, I'm scared. And he, he denied that he even knew him, that he'd spent any time with him. He just totally blows it. Peter failed big time. And what does Jesus do with him? Does he say, away from me, you know, get out of my face, I'll never use you. You are broken beyond repair now. I can never use you ever again. No, 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 what did he do? He forgave him. He restored him. He built the New Testament church on him. The church that we have today, in large part, is due to the fact that, that really Peter was used to give birth to it. That's how God used him, a huge failure. This failure, Peter, he preached at Pentecost, and basically his sermon was, repent and be baptized. You need to follow Christ. You need to follow him. You need to give him your life. So repent, turn away from your sin, and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Why do you think Peter could, could preach so passionately? It's because he knew what failure looked like. He knew who he had been. He had been forgiven by Jesus. And the Bible says as he preached, those who accepted his message, there were over 3,000 that accepted his message that day. Most impressive failure. And God wants to use every single one of you. So you may say, okay, great. This is, this is, my, this is my jam. I'm going to get fired up here because I know that God wants to do something in me. So you say, okay, God, do something big. I want to see fireworks. You know, show up and show off, Lord. I'm ready for that. I, I'm ready to do it. And let me, let me tell you right now. Don't start there. Don't start there. 
Start small because you will be surprised at how often it's the small things that end up making the biggest difference anyway. Be faithful in the small things. And when you're faithful, Jesus says, when you're faithful in the little things, then he says he will promote you to the big things. So you start right where you are. You've got to ask yourself, what is my next step? Not 10 steps. Not where am I supposed to be in in five years from now. What is your next baby step, medium step, whatever it is that when you pick your foot up and you've got to place it ahead of you, what does that look like? What, what are you called to do? You've got to start small. The, first, the uh, church in 1 Thessalonians, Paul's writing to these people. He says, God's got his hand on you for something very special. He loves you and he's got a plan. He has a purpose for you. And you might ask, well, what did they do? What, are those, what were those people like? You know, and, and why, why was God moving in their life? What, what, was it, what was such a big deal? This is what it says about them. He said, you paid careful attention to the way we lived among you. And you determined to live that way yourselves. In imitating us, you imitated the master. Although great trouble accompanied the word, you were able to take great joy from the Holy Spirit. Taking the trouble with the joy, the joy with the trouble. That may seem like a small thing, but I I love that. What Paul's saying, and this is... This doesn't seem all that glamorous, but it's a big deal. He said, literally, what you guys were doing is you saw how we were living, and so you started living like that. And by doing that, by kind of imitating us, you were imitating Jesus, because we're living like Jesus. And he said, this has become the greatest blessing in your life. The thing that, that has made you different, the thing that's made you unique and distinctive. And if I could challenge you at all today, if you'll at least if you'll at least let this soak for just a little bit, the biggest impact in my life, the moments where I have grown the most by, I mean, no, no comparison, the biggest impact is when I have been encouraged and affirmed in my calling and what God's doing in my life is when I have found people who are further down the road than me and I have allowed them to guide me. I've, I've asked, can I spend some time with you? you know, I've given them permission to speak into my life. You know, having a mentor, having someone who's got permission to tell you, hey, listen, I, I see this in you, and you need to keep doing this, or hey, I see this other thing in you, and you, you, really, need to, you really need to think about making a change there. But that, the times when I have grown more than any other time is when I've had that, when I've had somebody who could speak into my life, and this is my challenge for you. Just think, who is the most mature Christian that you know that's in your life? Could be somebody at work, maybe somebody in your small group, somebody that, you know, in your family perhaps, somebody that you know, some way your paths have crossed. Who is that person that you look at and you think, boy, one day I hope I could be more like them? Spend time with that person. Just spend time with them. Say, hey, can I, can I take you out to coffee? Can I pick your brain a little bit? Hey, could I, would you have lunch with me? I'd love to spend a little bit of time for, with you. Don't, don't, don't wait around for that to happen on its own. See, this is the problem I think a lot of us have is we think that, oh, that'd be great. That's a good idea. But we assume that someone else is going to take, they're going to take the first step towards us. 
So we just kind of wait and sit back and like, well, I think somebody's going to come along, right? I just need to wait and one day the phone will ring and, and that's when I'm supposed to do that, right? No, 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 no. You got feet and you, you got a mouth. Ask. The thing I have noticed about mature believers is typically they're not looking to barge into your life. You know, they're not looking to come in and say, hey, listen, I know better than you. So why don't you sit down, shut up, let's have lunch, and I'll tell you the things that you need to be doing. They're, they're more humble than that. You know, with wisdom comes humility. So these people that you're looking at and saying, well, I don't know, they never call me, nobody ever calls me. You know, I've been going, I've been going to church for six months and nobody's called me. Take the initiative. You've got to ask. You have to ask. Because mature believers most likely are not going to barge their way into your life. Jesus does not barge his way into your life. He may convict, the Holy Spirit may prod, but you got free will. We have to take the first step. What is your next step? Let it be known. One of my life verses is Proverbs 11, verse 14. I love this, and I love the practicality of it, but it's been proven in my life. It just says, where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Just think about that. When you don't have anybody speaking into your life, when you don't have any kind of spiritual barometer at all, and you're just like, well, I just kind of go by feel, or I just kind of go by what I know or what I think, the Bible says you'll fall. That's, that's failure. But in the abundance of counselor, when we have people, and this is the thing about counselors, if you've ever been to a counselor, you, you, then you know this already. In order for counseling to be effective, you have to give them permission to speak into your life. Otherwise, you're sitting in a room with a guy talking at you. You've you got to be receptive and listening, and, and, and they know how to ask good questions. It kind of points you in a direction. You've got to open the door. They're not going to barge in. You have to open the door. So who's the most mature believer that you know? Spend some time with that person and invite them. Open the door. Ask, ask them, hey, would you, would you help me? Give me some advice. What would you do if you were in my position? Those are great questions to ask. Paul says this in, in 1 Thessalonians 1 to these people. You guys, he says, you guys have done this. You've emulated us. You've imitated us. And you've been blessed by that. And he says, do you know now, because you've, you've done this stuff, and you're following the Lord, do you know that all over the, the provinces of both Macedonia and Acacia, believers look up to you? The word has gotten around. Your lives are echoing the master's word, not only in the provinces, but all over the place. The news of your faith in God is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You're the message. That's a pretty cool, cool thing. Could you imagine if people said that about you? If people said, man, all over the place I'm hearing about your faith. All over the place I'm hearing about how you follow Christ and, and, and that you're the message. Now, I wish that I could mention all of you today, but I, I wouldn't have time to do that. But there's so many in this church that that is true of you. And I really mean that. There's so many. I, I can't tell you how often... I'll be out in the community, I'm doing a wedding or a funeral or I'm, you know, at some, some event or something and, and somebody will come up to me and say, what, you're the pastor of Fairdale Christian Church, right? So-and-so goes to your church and they'll start talking about you. 
And, oh, man, I see the things that they do. They're the real deal. I mean, oh, and they're just talking about all the wonderful ways in which you are following the Lord. And I don't have to say a word. I don't have to talk about what we believe as a church or who God is or what it looks like to be a Christian. They've seen you. And they're like, yeah, I've seen it. I know it's real. And, and I, I feel this. I feel what Paul is saying here that I don't have to say anything. You're the message. They'll talk about what a difference you've made in their life, how your faith has lived out. And you've set, set a, a great example. That happens on a regular basis. Now, I don't have time to mention everyone, but, but one story that I, I will share, or one couple that I want to mention, is Ed and Cindy Morris of our church. And whenever I think about Ed and Cindy, I think there's, there, there are some real people rooted in Jesus. That, that's who they are. And I can't tell you how many people I have met out somewhere at some public thing and somebody will say well i know ed and cindy they go to your church and and then what follows is is always is always just wonderful to hear oh i see that they go down every week and they're serving the homeless downtown they take things to the homeless people or, oh i've seen some of the the uh, the wonderful ways they've helped neighbors or man those people they just they're so generous they're so unashamed of their faith in jesus you see, you don't wonder whether or not they're Christians or not. You know, because they'll be the first to tell you that. And, and I will literally meet people, and I think, man, I don't have to say anything. Because Ed and Cindy are the message. And many of you, you you're the message. Paul goes on that scripture. He's just lifting these people up. He says, people come up and they tell us how you received us with open arms. How you deserted the dead idols of your old life so that you could embrace and serve God, the true God. They marvel at how expectantly you await the arrival of his son whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from certain doom. You know, the hardest part about all of this, this whole thing, the hardest part is that we really know ourselves too well. We know our insecurities. We know how, how we fail. And I told you my goal is, is not to tell you what to do, and I, I won't. But I know that some of you, well, all of you have a next step to take. And for some of you, it's just you've been putting off following Jesus. That's been the step. And you know that you know that you know it's time for me to accept him. I want to do that. I need to be baptized into Christ. But you've been putting it off. And you've been putting it off. And that's the next step. But you keep putting it off. Others of you, it's time to serve. If this is your church and you've been coming here and you say, man, that's my church, then we, we need you to serve. Don't just be a consumer. Be a contributor. Allow God to use you. He's given you gifts for his purpose. Use them. I, I invite you to do that. I invite you to be part of biblical community because we need each other. Over the next few months, you're going to be hearing about small groups that will be opening and Sunday morning groups. And I want to invite you to, to jump in. Men's ministry activities, women's ministry activities, sports opportunities, family ministry events. There will be lots of things coming. And we want you to be part of that and get involved so that you'll get to know some people that we'll walk alongside you. We pour our lives into one another. You make a difference. I had a young lady this past week who was a part, who had been, has been a part of our church for the last year or so. And uh, she was active in our, our celebrate recovery ministry. And she, she found freedom and sobriety. Her life was sideways. And now the Lord has just changed everything for her. And so now, uh, this past week, she moved. She moved back home where she's from because she's, she's gotten her life back. So she's going back to her family. And so we hate to see her go, but we, we're excited to, to see the next chapter. And I want to share with you guys what she wrote to me this past week. She sent me a text message. 
And she said, thank you so much, your church, and what you guys do have brought me so much peace. Being in that place is the only time I have felt any relief from some of the trauma that I've been through in my life. I can never thank you all enough. God bless you. Keep doing what you're doing because you're helping so many get to know Jesus and overcome the problems in their lives. That's to you guys. And sometimes you may think it's not a big deal when you smile and shake somebody's hand. But that may be the, you may be the first person that's spoken to them in a week. And sometimes you, you know, you hand somebody a cup of coffee and you think, well, that's no big deal. I mean, I'm just doing something. But you've just made somebody feel cared for who feels like their whole world's against them. You know, when you lead a group, when you tell somebody, hey, it's great to see you, you may be the first person that they've heard, hey, anybody, somebody wants to see me, somebody cares, this is a, it's a big deal. Now, I don't want to push you to go beyond that. Don't, don't just settle there. But just know and take some comfort in the fact that God has not only loves you, but he has his hand on you for something very special. And sometimes we just can't help but ask, can, can God use somebody like me? And I, I think in our heart of hearts, we already know the answer to that. But sometimes we get in the way. Sometimes we stumble. Don't allow your excuses to keep you from stepping into God's purpose. So hopefully as you came in, you got one of these cards. And on the back of it, it just says, my next step is blank. What I want you to do over the next minute or so is I want you just to think about what, what is it that God's called you to do? What's your next step look like? And just jot it in there. And I, what I'd really love for you to do is take this card and you can stick it in your Bible if you want. Come back to it maybe in a week or two and be like, oh, yeah, have, how am I doing on that? Or maybe this is just a little thing to keep you accountable to say, okay, I need to take a step now. But just take a minute or two and write those down and, and uh, pay attention to what's on the screen here as well. We are like clay, static, unrecognizable, nothing. A formless mass with no direction, no purpose, no meaning. We are like clay. Pliable, movable, moldable. In the hands of the Creator, we can be changed, made beautiful, given life. Nothing becomes something extraordinary. The transformation takes time. The process is tedious, difficult, painstaking. But soon, we see the beginnings of something wonderful. The formless takes shape. The unrecognizable finds its identity. The meaningless is given purpose. From nothing comes beauty. We are like clay. Each piece different than the next. Given unlimited potential in the hands of the potter.